Oi, oi, streamers. Welcome to Crossing Streams Podcast, episode five, presented by the Bizzlecast. I am the Bizzle, and with me, as always, is Maddie G. Matt. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode five of The Expanse. Uh, I was going to go bold and name this one, a.k.a. Uh, Crossing Streams Strike Back, but I don't want to uh, compare this to the greatest fifth thing ever so i think i'm going to call it crossing streams of the kala after the fifth <laughs> book in the uh dark tower series but i could change my mind if this conversation goes really 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 well well i, pre- uh, I appreciate that you consider us as good as the expanse but it's actually episode five of the um podcast not of the is expanse, that did which i miss episode four you did yeah ah shit <laughs> yeah Welcome it- to episode five of crossing <laughs> streams where we'll be talking about the expanse episode uh four. Is I'm a little five? loopy. I just finished running 20 miles, so, oh, wow. you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're both a little loopy, which can be good for the podcast, so we'll see exactly. where this goes. <laughs> um, so we're going to get right into it this week, uh, man. I will just quickly plug BizzleCast listeners. Uh, we don't have enough time to talk about it as much as I want to, but Matt and I both saw the Batman Lego movie, and it's highly, highly recommended. Anyone yeah. of all ages. And if you're listening to this podcast and are interested in anything we've ever talked about, you will enjoy this extremely funny uh, a satirical but humanistic with a heart uh, movie. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, absolutely. Very heartfelt. You know, this joke of a character, this send up of pre existing <laughs> Batman characters, specifically the ones from Zack Snyder and Christian and uh, Christopher Nolan and Frank Miller. He still manages to be an actual character that you actually care about and you watch kind of go through thought processes and this emotional cycle. It, it's kind of amazing that they managed to wring this out of what is also a one and a half hour ad for Legos. And I think, you know, on top of all the great parodying and just bringing in monsters from all the WB universes and fairy tales and everything, which is fantastic. I didn't know it was coming, but what's so funny, bad, you know, is I heard Will Arnett on Colbert a couple days ago and he talks almost like that in real life. That's how, mm-hmm. so it's like they've had to have Christian Bell and, you know, talk way out of character, you know, which people think, I think it's, it's fair to say it's controversial a little bit, you know, if the Batman voice was good or not, but like, you know, Will Arnett's able to do it the entire movie with with ease too bad will arnett couldn't be batman <laughs> but he was in the lego movie and i will there's amazing voice talent just go to imdb but the central four characters of will arnett as batman uh michael Sarah as uh robin <clears throat> and uh ray finds one of my favorite actors of all time uh as um alfred and then the amazing amazing rosario dawson who's very old rosario dawsony as jim gordon's daughter and the new commissioner barbara gordon i thought it was an, an awesome addition uh, to the crew. I, I thought all four of them are great. For sure. Um, yeah. So take your kids, take your friends, you know? I mean, this is one of those PG movies where there's a thousand jokes that little, they'll go over little kids' heads, you know? But there's plenty of stuff for them as well. It's like the yeah, best Yeah, they'll have a real good time, I promise you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, we're going to jump right into it. Um, we've got, um, you know, again this week, uh, we've got Legion, Expanse, CW, um, but um, we do have a couple of shows um, that are coming back either from break or they, they all new season. Um, I know we've got Humans and the Walking Dead, both of which uh, Matt uh, is going to talk a little bit about. Um, are those the two main ones that came back this week? Uh, yeah, Humans and The Walking Dead, those are the big two. Alright, so why don't you just jump right into it? Okay, so, uh, The Walking Dead, which is AMC's, uh, zombie survival show, uh, starring Andrew Lincoln as, uh, 
Sheriff Rick Grimes. It's set in the it started out in Atlanta. I'm honestly not sure. I think they've sort of migrated north to the D.C. area at this point. But, mm. you know, the show begins with a zombie outbreak. Society collapses, which is the story with every zombie story ever. And it's about surviving, you know, The Walking Dead. And, and then all of the different humans who try to use the uh, the zombie apocalypse as a way to steal power. You know, they run into... Lots of despots and and crazy people and tyrants and cannibals and all Mm -hmm. kinds of fun characters, you know, in an effort to keep finding somewhere where they can survive safely, you know, where they can build some kind of community. They live in on a farm for a while till it gets overrun. They live in a a prison for a little while till it gets overrun. Um, And then the current plot is that they're living in what's called the Alexandria Safe Zone which is in the greater DC area. Um, It's got these giant steel concrete walls that keep out the walkers, but they fall, they come into contact with these bad guys called the saviors who are very well trained, very well organized, like paramilitary led by Negan played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who was in, he was the comedian in Watchmen uh, who is Uh, a complete psychopath. Um, Right. You know, his, his general method of execution is to bash somebody's brains out with a bat called Lucille that's wrapped in barbed wire. Um, and he talks about Lucille like it's a person, you know, Lucille loves being taken out and she don't like being shown up. She's a vampire. Mm-hmm. It's didn't BB King name his guitar yeah, Lucille that, too. That's a, yeah, it's BB King. Yep. I think BB King still has the better Lucille. Um, but I so, also think the better named gun is Jane's Vera. Vera Vera is the best name for a weapon that I've seen. It's better than anything in Game of Thrones. Although Excalibur is a pretty badass name for a weapon. Excalibur is um, pretty I, I will be I'll be a classicist about this. Yes, um, Excalibur is pretty amazing. You know, not so down with any of the names for swords in uh, Beowulf, but Excalibur is a sweet ass name. <laughs> um, anyway, some moistened bint with a top gave me a sword and said I was king. They locked me away. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So the first half of the season is basically the saviors terrorizing Rick and his friends, just beating people to death, taking all their food, being assholes. And then finally, for a while, Andrew Lincoln's character, Rick Grimes, is afraid to step out to like fight back. And then finally, at the mid-season finale, he decides, okay, time to rise up, enough with this shit. The first season... Uh, half of the the first episode of the second half of the season is about starting to rally some of the other communities the saviors have been terrorizing to help them fight you know and obviously the second half is just going to be rally 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 and then a bunch you know the final battle will take two episodes probably and then that'll be the end of the season is how i think it's going um good first episode back from break coolest scene by far was they come across this trap um, to take out large herds of zombies, which is it's this uh, it's like Garrett wire or it's some kind of really, really sharp razor wire strung between two cars on opposite lanes of a highway. So it's really it's like a 50 foot cable of razor sharp wire that's lined with explosives. So they steal all the explosives because they are going to use that for their war with the saviors. But they do have a there's a horde of zombies coming their way. So Rick and uh, another character named Michonne, this really kick ass uh, African American uh, 
a character who's got like a samurai sword and is really taciturn and badass. Um, she's played by an actress named Denae Guerrera, and I'm sorry if I got her name wrong. So the two of them, to take out this horde, they drive the cars with the razor wire between them, and they just behead like hundreds of fucking zombies. I, I mean, it is gruesome as hell. It's all CGI, but it's still pretty awesome to see. So that was the best moment of The Walking Dead. I've said in the last episode, it's pretty cathartic to watch large herds of zombies get mutilated and destroyed. It's fun. It's a fun show. No Jeffrey Dean Morgan except for his voice in this one, and I actually think that works to the show's benefit because I don't like Negan very much as a character. Um, so if we have more episodes like this, the second half is going to be fun. Cool. Um, the only thing I have to say about this, um, and right. I, was, I was waiting for um, <clears throat> the season to start. You know that I'm very into... Um, sort of modern uh, board and, and card gaming and stuff like that. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm actually uh, pioneering at the moment um, at, at a few Philadelphia public schools um, after school programs using um, sort of co- uh, cooperative or, or semi-cooperative uh, board games to teach teamwork and socialization. And um, uh, there's really been a renaissance over the last five to ten years, especially in the cooperative game genre, where it's you playing against the the game essentially and working as a team mm. which is great for different levels of aptitude and skill and experience and shy people and not shy people it, it it's amazing the way it, it builds teamwork um and uh, there's a lot of great ones probably the most famous is is called pandemic where you're trying to stop like you know like like major uh, pandemics you know viruses breaking out all over the globe and working as like a team of researchers to stop it um, I've always wanted to play this game pandemic's fantastic and, and I've heard it's, yeah. Amazing. Well, and now they have a version of, of uh, board games called Legacy Games. They do this with Risk. Pandemic started doing this where um, it, you basically get like 18 completely like one-time play quests that are each like 60 to 90 minute plays that, that, are, that have a storyline that runs through the entire thing. And so you're 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 not just playing the game over and over again. You're actually like there's like 18 chapters. You're telling a story as you're doing it. Um, and actually, one of the best, even if you're not into zombies, but if you're into storytelling and you're into gaming with people, but if you're into zombies and storytelling, there's a game that came out uh, in 2014 that won every best of uh, award that year called Dead of Winter. Mm-hmm. And it's a highly thematic, a semi-cooperative game. Um, so when they made Battlestar Galactica the game like 10 years ago, it pioneered what they call the traitor mechanism, where you're right. all working together, but you have sleeper Cylons, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like it's like if anyone played Spy growing up or games like that, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like the, or Murder, you know? Like, it, it's like that, but, but played out in the board game. Well, Dead of Winter <laughs> takes it a step further, which is that not only do you have a traitor, but it doesn't always happen. It depends how many players you have and which cards you draw. Um, and but it's but they're also in order to accomplish their goal, they actually have to help you for most of the game and then betray you. And on right. top of that, it, even all the good guy characters have secret missions that they can't reveal to one another. So it's just filled with paranoia and suspicion. Um, and on top of that, though, but what really makes it great is what they call the crossroad system, which is that there's this huge deck of like 200 cards that are randomized of story events that kick in when certain things happen. So it's really like you're telling a story about, you're basically trying to survive like a week on this zombie colony. And it's uh-huh. like, it's, it's fun and you're suspicious of everyone. And you also, it's like kind of scary because you're reading like, like uh, uh, pieces of the story as you go along and like, 
more and more horrifying things involving zombies and like you have to decide whether to like you know sacrifice like worthless townspeople who aren't doing anything for you to feed the zombies to live another day and stuff like that highly recommended dead of winter there's actually a lot of great zombie themed games out there but that one's the best one best game of the year all over the world 2014 a lot of fun um i've always been curious um bringing back to walking dead to, to, to watch it man but again you know i know nothing about the genre and as we talked about last week i don't like 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 i said like i get scared from this game like i don't think i could handle watching this week after week I I don't think Walking Dead is very scary. I think the scariest moment is actually in the pilot where, so it begins right before the outbreak. Rick Grimes is on a mission. You know, he's a sheriff. He's, I think he busts up a robbery or something and he gets shot. And so he goes into the hospital and he falls into a coma because of his gunshot wound. They thought he was going to die. Obviously he survives. And when he wakes up, he's in this abandoned hospital where there are lights broken and just, carts strewed everywhere and then as he's walking out in his robe really unclear what's going on because nobody's answering his questions you know nobody's responding to his calls he sees a set of double doors that are with chains around them and written in messy red paint that might be blood it says just dead inside and the doors are moving and that's creepy as hell that's maybe the scariest is just the the walking out of the hospital and then there's a there's like a half dead zombie body that's dragging after him like its legs are gone so it's c- crawling at him from the ground i mean his realization that the world is way different that's as scary as it gets and then it more gets i, I don't know f- fun for lack of a better word it's a yeah. fun show it's you know zombies are not meant to be take you know it's a different kind of horror than body horror or i I don't know other like sub sub subsections of the horror genre and i think zombies are always because they're not characters and so you don't feel bad when they die your ability to kind of relate to them and commit and you know empathize with them is zero so it's just sort of fun to watch them get their heads blown up um, which is why i think yeah. Sorry, which is why I think the zombie subgenre lends itself so well to comedy. Sure. Um, well, and I, I, the re- and the reason I brought up Dead of Winter isn't just because it's a zombie game, but because it's basically Walking Dead the game. Because it's scary, fun, funny, and weird, sort of all at the same time. They very right. much copped. I've seen enough of Walking Dead and know enough about it to know that they copped a lot of of the archetypal characters, you know, sure. and kind of parried parodied them even more in the game. And you have to make ridiculous decisions, and yeah, you have to you get attached to your characters because you're trying to win as a group, but you also have to get be dissociated from them because they're getting eaten by zombies constantly so right right right, right. Uh, so it's definitely worth dropping you know 40 bucks or whatever it is for this huge game that you can play a million times i'm glad to hear that's off to a decent start man i'm you know i root for i root for good genre shows whether or not i watch them um and uh i, I don't know if you're if if you're cool pivoting to humans um uh as as a comparison of a genre show Sure. I want to throw out one cool fact yeah, about that actress I mentioned, um, Denai Guerrero, who plays Michonne. So she was born in Iowa, but spent a fair amount of her childhood in mm. Zimbabwe. Does um, it say where in Iowa? Grinnell, Iowa. No, my dad's from Waterloo. Okay. I have no idea. Her mom was a librarian. Her dad was a, a, chemi- a chemistry lecturer at the University huh. of Wisconsin Platteville. So how did she that wrote she end up in Zimbabwe? A, I'm sorry. She wrote a play called Eclipsed, 
that won a Tony Award that starred your girl, Lupita Nyong'o. I've heard about this. Okay, yes. I knew that sounded familiar. So she's clearly not only a good actress, but pretty smart and a good writer. She's had a kind of interesting career, um, and she she really kicks ass. I mean, the fan-favorite character is generally accepted as uh, Norman Reedus, who most people would know from Boondock Saints. Um, he plays Daryl Dixon, this kind of redneck with a crossbow, but he's a lot more thoughtful than that. Um, his brother uh, is uh, Michael Rooker, Yondu, from Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Rooker. <laughs> yeah, and he's great. He, he shows up in the first season, and then he's dispensed with pretty quickly, and then he comes back a couple of years later, and again, only in a couple episodes. So he's, not a, he's a, a minor character, mm-hmm. uh, whereas Norman Reedus is one of the major ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a quick um, reminder to the Bizzlecast listeners, or, or uh, just a quick plug. So this will be coming out um, February 20th, Monday, February 20th. Uh, later this week, I'm going to be releasing my top 10 films of 2016. And no, Matt, Civil War and Rogue One are not on that list. <laughs> um, but Queen of Katwe is, um, with cool. amazing performances by David Iolo and um, David Iolo. Whose name? A yellow I think is how it's pronounced. A yellow which is hilarious because I've spent so much time in Africa and so many countries that I almost never have problems with African names. And I every time I stumble on his name, A yellow <laughs> Love that guy. Amazing actor. In that movie we talked about, the Botswana movie that's coming out. And Lupita's amazing in that too. So that is on right. there. So look for that um, coming out later this week. Bizzle's Top uh, 10 Movies of 2016. And um, that brings us to our next topic. So we have one genre show that's been around a long time. And then we have another one that's in its second season. And on paper, Matt, um, humans should be everything I would want in a show. But every time I read about it, just watch trailers or commercials, I'm left kind of cold. So convince me that I should watch it or tell me that my uh, instinct is correct. I, I don't know that I can really do either, but I mean, because I, I, I'm not sure what you what you want. Okay, well, it just to start be, with just but... telling us about the show because most okay. people I don't think have seen it, considering it's just entering its second season. Right. Yeah. So, Humans is a show on ABC um, that was co-produced. Um, it's a British show originally. Um, it was, or well, it was written by um, British uh, British team. Uh, for something called Channel 4, which is a um, British public service television station. Um, It's vaguely based on the Swedish drama Real Humans. Both of them are about robots called synths, short for synthetic, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is a world that is very, very close in the future to where we currently are. Society hasn't really changed all that much, except that they have very, very, very capable robots known as synths. They are not sentient, uh, or at least nobody thinks they are at first, um, but they can do, they have incredible uh, cognitive power, They and a lot of day-to-day you know, labor has been turned over to them in a wide range. You have people doing construction work, but also robots doing nursing care um, or nanny work. Uh, so... You know, these are just very, very advanced robots. Um, and what you've got, you know, my problem with this show is I don't think there's a whole lot left to be said about robots. And I'm really not sure AMC is bringing anything new to it other than a fair amount of money because it looks good and very bright colored contacts. Because that's how you know the, who the synths are is they have these 
very, very bright blue or bright green eyes. Like Fremen? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Although Fremen, as I recall, they don't even have like, they don't have irises. They don't have pupils. Like it's just blue, right? It's, it's described as blue on blue. So right, and this it's is going to be one a little of, differently in the in yeah. the. Well, I was going to um, say one of the bazillion the TV show. Yeah, one of the bazillion special effects challenges they're going to have is to m- make it look like there is an eye within the big blue thing, or whether they'll just go all blue like Batman's eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean the um, my I'm trying to I sort of vaguely remember what the eyes looked like in the sci-fi miniseries of Dune. It was good. It was good. You could, I mean, you could, it was an overlay, but they sort of left it so you could see it was an overlay. I don't know if that was on purpose or not. That might have just been they didn't have the money, but that actually imitated what it, I think it should look like. I could be wrong. Sure. I And I think with the David Lynch movie, they just sort of put a blue contact lens over their eyes or something. I mean, it was sort of understated, but it also wasn't very clean looking as opposed to it looked very clean in the miniseries. Here, just picture a regular eye with a white cornea and a black pupil and just the iris is very, very vibrant. Um, It's a nice little trick. Uh, It it gets the job done of marking these people as different. Um, But I just... I, I don't know what the point of the show is, what, what unique thing it's saying about robots. You know, at the very least with Westworld, which I ultimately don't, didn't like all that much, but I did like that their take on robotics was we are not going to pursue robotics because we think we can make our lives better and we're not going to pursue robotics because it's the natural outcropping, uh, you know, the natural extension of our desire for unfettered scientific achievement, you know, to just see if we can do it. If we ever create robots, it will be as an extension of our own needs for mastery, that we are going to build these things to be our slaves, to be the outlets for all of our most horrible uh you know, most violent, most sexually depraved fantasies. That's the reason we're going to build them. It's what we're going to seek them out to do. And if they do cause an apocalypse, it's not going to be because they rise up and kill us, but because once we invent them, any desire to rise above that side of ourselves and overcome that and get rid of that is going to go away. Because now we don't need to worry about killing or raping a real person because we can just go rape and murder all the robots we want. That's basically all that Westworld is there for is just to be sex toys, basically for rich people to show up and mutilate. That's all they're there for. Um, And that's incredibly nihilistic, but at least that's sort of unique with a take on robots. I don't know that AMC has any point to make on them. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of don't know. I, I have a hard time saying watch it or don't watch it. You know, the cast is okay, but not spectacular. And the plot is just some of the robots become sentient and they, you know, cops are hunting them down. It's the same plot of every robot show and movie ever. Yeah, I hate to keep going back to the well with Blade Runner, but, you know, if you look at Daryl Hannah's character. Right. They imply that there are probably sex bots in that universe, but oh, yeah. or, or even with Rachel. I mean, Rachel, I think, is meant to be. Right, she seduces him. Right, I mean, she, and she doesn't even tests- know she's a bot. She's a. Um, I always forget the right. name of the android in Blade Runner. The replicants, yeah, yeah. replicants, yeah. Um, but it's Decker, the- half the questions he's asking her are sex questions. Yeah. Um, By the way, we've never talked ask, about this. Are you testing if I'm a robot or a yeah. lesbian? Right. <laughs> is decker a, a replicant I, i've never i've never really been able to suss that one out 
Yeah, that's one of the great, great mysteries. Apparently, uh, both Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott have gone back and forth and given contradictory answers over the years. Yeah, which they should. You know, I, I think it's a, a very interesting question to ask, and I don't know that you're necessarily supposed to be certain one way or another. Um, yep. You know, yep. but the idea that they build the perfect thing to take down the thing they built makes sense. Or that humans would hate these things, and so they would train a human to be able to kill them. Both are logical solutions to a problem. Well, and, and you know, and for Harrison Ford and Rachel to not know they were replicants and fall in love was, is right. really interesting. But it's also interesting the other way, you know? It's, exactly. I mean, the whole idea of Blade Runner is that there, there isn't a fine line, right? And that's what yeah. the whole idea of Battlestar ends up being, is that there's not a right, fine exactly. line. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I might give humans a try. I, I, I'm not going to yeah, lie. Go ahead. The fact that Carrie Ann Moss was added to the cast did yes. make it a little bit more appealing. Yes, and she's really good. Um, I am, I'm, she was really, really magnetic when she's on the screen. You know, not like Aubrey Plaza on Legion good, but she was definitely like at a level better than most of the other actors and actresses on the show. So when she's on, it's really interesting because she is a really good actress. Um, Fantastic also, might Matrix. be drinking unicorn blood or something because she doesn't seem to have aged no. very much from back in the no. Matrix days twenty years ago. No, it, it, that's funny you say that. It looks like she's aged. She ages more from the first Matrix to the sequels than she has yes. in the last fifteen years. Yes. <laughs> like if you watch the original movie, you're like, oh my god, she looks like a teenager almost. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. She looks great, and not only is she confirmed for at least three of the eight Defenders episodes, but she's definitely in the final two, which means she's going to have a huge part. Yep. Um, in the Defenders. Um, just a quick Defenders update. When is the Iron Fist release date? I keep forgetting this. Uh, I want to say March 17th. So March yeah, 17th. Month from tomorrow. Less than a month, yeah, less than a month away at this point. Or yeah. a month exactly. Yeah, March 17th. Right. Well, uh, I, that's true. By the time you, you guys are listening to this, it'll be less than a month. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we'll have a lot of questions answered. Um, we'll save our talk about our Defenders bed and stuff for when we get closer to Iron Fist. Um, Absolutely. But I, I, I certainly will be glad to have a good... Um, Defender show, I hope, or at least watchable. Um, we've never really talked about Luke Cage, um, mostly because I haven't watched the whole thing. Yeah, so what's um, the point? <laughs> so Right, so what's the point? Um, but great to see Carrie Ann Moss getting roles. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, approaching middle-aged, even though you would never know it. Um, and she has amazing talent, and one of those, you know, she's one of those actresses that always plays kind of a version of herself, but because she's sort of dark, you can go either way with her character, which is great like i don't yeah, she's think she's 49 you know, by the way oh my she god looks 38 i mean some of it is i think her hair she's got that long she's got longer hair in this show and i think that makes her look younger um she's got great skin too that that yeah that, that ivory skin that the first time you see her in the matrix which right we're about to have some matrix talk coming up uh but I don't know if we're there yet. Um, so okay. So what, are the, what should I give humans a try? I mean, can I jump in on this season two, or do I need to go back and watch season one? Well, honestly, I kind of think you can because all of season one is about tracking down this code that was going to bring all of the synths to life, and then i'm just gonna get into spoilers because fuck it at the end of the show they decide at the end of the season they decide you know what we're not going to release the code yet we don't quite know what it does we're not 
We don't quite understand what the ramifications are going to be. We need to really think this out. We need to figure out who we are as the first sentient robots ever before we decide if it's a good idea nope. to bring the rest of them to life. But then the first five minutes of season two, one of the robots releases the code. So this whole moral quandary that they set up in the first season, they just said, fuck it. We want to go in another direction. So, uh, you know, I, I was hoping for a little bit more thought before one of them just decides, okay, the hell with it. I'm going to release it. Um, so now you've got, you know, it's like every one in a thousand becomes alive or something. Um, so it's not like all of them are alive and go crazy, but, um, yeah. so you could probably jump in because most of the plot like shit in season one, mm -hmm. if they wind up dispensing with pretty quickly in season two, you might not know who any of the characters are, but you know, maybe give it a shot. See what you think. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we talked about how you know, with space opera, it's like do a space opera if you're if you can tell a great story that happens to be right. a space opera. Use robots if if you need robots to tell a great story, not because you want to just talk about robots. So right, um, you know, I mean, the, just to make the comparison one last time, you know, the robots in the original Battlestar Galactica were just bad guys. You know, the yeah. the ones that we know as the as Cylons or are conceived at a way 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 higher level than initial. You know, initially, um, what was the case but you can do that with a good storytelling and good writing so um all right man well I'll, I'll check it out i'll give it a try see what's going on um but um i gotta stick also with the shows that i've committed to uh which brings us to our next show uh which i will let you introduce yeah so uh we're getting to which one do we decide to do next expanse um it's up to you i'll let you choose legion or expanse oh okay uh, let's we talk do ex Expanse. Yeah, I was going to say, let's do Expanse first. So um, I'll, I'll just start on this one. Go ahead. I did, I did take some notes, which I'm finding to be very helpful. These little blog posts. I don't know if I'm going to publish, publish them this week, but I just like start writing it. So I thought this was another great episode. Mm -hmm. I'm liking these characters more and more. Um, I, I, you know, I, the, the relationship, the back and forth relationship between thomas jane and the crew could not be going better as far as i can you know in terms of what they've built to this point um i totally bought you know uh, i mean there's a little bit of a gap between you know um uh holden hating him so much almost irrationally compared to what we've seen i mean holden has seen him murder a lot of people Mm -hmm. So murdering a bad guy in cold blood uh, doesn't, you know, seem to warrant it. So, but that's why I bought that. You know, when 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 uh, Miller said I'm going to put my life on the line for this mission, that that Holden would pull back and kind of respect him. Um, they they finally unleashed Stephen Strait in this episode with his yep. with his anger, and I thought he nailed it. Yeah, um, I thought he really really nailed it. Um, you know, Naomi keeps laying in the cut doing her thing. I, I just she's so soothing to listen to. I could just listen to her talk all day, mm -hmm. and I like that they're not making her Starbuck. You know, she's kind of no, se not sensitive. All. Like she is a badass, but she's also kind of sensitive and feminine. She's not just like a total tomboy. You know, despite right. her her look. And, and putting it on um and uh you know i i dig that um i did read man i know neither of us are 100 percent crazy about um amos but he was in the military and he was actually discovered because he was on like some battleship that denzel washington was filming on in one of denzel's films and the the, the produce the director one of the producers just like saw him 
And he, he said, you got a great look, kid, you know, like, and, and he had acted in high school. He had, had, he had a bad parental situation growing up. He, I think he went to military school for a little bit, and then he went to an art school where he acted, and um, and so they kind of plucked him after he was in the military four years. He knows mixed martial arts. He was in the help playing Emma Stone's brother, which I totally forgot, um, which was kind of an acclaimed movie has been in some have been big productions. I think when they write for Amos, well, um, I don't have his name in front of me right now. Um, when they write for him, well, I actually really like how sort of quietly psychotic he is. I, I've compared him to like the chief when the chief goes in full psycho mode, except he's much more comfortable in full psycho mode than the chief is who's always questioning himself so chief terrell uh, galen right. terrell by the way from battle stars who i'm referring to aaron played by aaron douglas mm-hmm. um i think when they give they they give him some some clunky one-liners and some clunky exposition but when they give right. him uh, uh west chatham is his name yep um when they give west oh, chatham, chatham or chatham when they give him decent material i i think he, i mean let's put it this way he could be really distracting considering how intense he is given his, his secondary role. Um, I, I think he's, he's that support character that, that they need. And I really like Kess Anvar too, honestly, Alex Kamal. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think it'd be interesting, man, just to bring up briefly. So Matt and I were sort of, dis- you know, you brought up that he, he's like a dandy, but with a Southern accent and, right. um, and then that sort of started a line of thought for me about, you know, I mean, I grew up playing Starcraft, the, the real time strategy game by the Warcraft people in the late nineties, where the Terran faction, they were basically like, they're basically the space galaxy version of Australians. Like they basically ejected all the criminals from earth and sent them to another part of the galaxy. And that became the new Terran Federation. And so they all, um, have Southern accents and talk like hillbillies, as you said, but actually, man, the lead guy, uh, good guy Jim Rayner, and especially the the emperor bad guy Menx, uh, also talk in southern accents, but theirs are way more refined because they're, you know, not from the lower class. Um, so there actually is a range of southern accents in StarCraft, but like, right. you know, Firefly, we take it for granted. Um, you know, Expanse, now we hear the southern accent. So I did some research on this, and mm-hmm. um, it goes back to Alien. Um, you know, there are some characters in the various Alien movies. Um, right. You pointed out... Um, Shit, who did you point Harry out? Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton's character. And then the pilot in Alien Resurrection. Uh, they like straight up cop lines from him for the pilot, various pilots in the StarCraft game, which came out a year after Alien Resurrection. Yeah. They steal a bunch of alien stuff, but also goes back to Warhammer, the the uh, the old but but still going strong uh, miniatures uh, war game. Um, right, Warhammer forty k had had that right. sort of element to it as well, and so it it works for me. You know, I don't. I wonder if it works for people who aren't used to a lot of these sci fi properties, some of which are mainstream and some of which are are, are more fringe. Um, so it makes sense to me that Kamal would have sort of a more refined. Uh, southern accent um right um no i'm with you i mean i i think the southern accent thing in west chatham i'm sorry west chatham is from uh i meant to bring this up from northern georgia like rural georgia so okay so there you go um steven straight's from new york city (laughs) yeah and he kind of talks like it yeah kind of looks like it cat sandvar's canadian so there you Mm -hmm. go um he's persian he speaks like four or five languages yeah Um, so anyway yeah, I think the thing with um, the Southern accent is it's a distinctly American accent. And so when you want to convey that a character is an, is American, 
the easiest way to do that is to give them a Southern accent. Um, uh, a simple example, um, one of the lesser known Hayao Miyazaki animes is called Porco Rosso, which is about uh, a seaplane pilot in the Adriatic Sea af- post-World War I um, who gets cursed to, to have the face of a pig and other stuff happens. Hmm. He comes across an American seaplane pilot who's kind of looking to make a name for himself by taking this guy out um, named Curtis Douglas, who is actually his name is a, is a combination of two real life pilot seaplane pilots or seaplane designers. And he speaks with a Southern accent, which, and they keep referring to him as the American. So it, it's the Southern thing. It conveys American. And I think that's kind of when they give a character that accent, that's something they're trying to spell out really clearly. So in Starcraft, those hillbilly soldiers are clearly American soldiers. And there's this kind of American manifest destiny, you know, colonization approach is how they fucked up on this planet. Now the Zerg want to kill them and the Protoss kind of want to use them. Uh, and, you know, and one of the many fucked up parts of Starcraft is that the space Marines are stuck in their suits. They're slaves. Right. So they're, they're slaves and prisoners among the descendants of prisoners. So, you know, um, is, that, that goes back to Warhammer as well. Um, and yeah, I like that expanse again, not having read the books. I, I actually bought the ebook. I got it on sale. Um, it, and I do want to read it because I'm now I'm really curious about how similar it is, but I have been mm-hmm. reading articles that, you know, the writers are fairly involved and actually more involved. Article I sent you, you know, they, they're actually getting the writers more involved in the first season um right I, I don't think they were like keeping the the, the two james Corey people a- out um frank and um abraham or whatever his name is uh but i think they just decided they actively wanted them to be part of it and you know that that discussion we were having about you know is it influencing it one way both ways now with the writing of the books who knows um but it seems like they're they're drawing from a lot of parts of space uh sci-fi stuff and that's almost all properties that i really like uh so i am totally down uh with with the cribbing uh of that stuff and it feels organic to me honestly it doesn't like yes i can point to various sources like we've been talking about but it doesn't i don't know if you find it distracting that there are some some obvious cribbing nah i don't really care i mean you know if i wasn't if i didn't like this stuff i wouldn't like this show so the fact that it seems similar uh, or familiar to me doesn't really bother me it, it, if anything it establishes its cred as classic sci-fi yep. um so uh, so just really quick about this episode which is called godspeed um great episode um uh, you know i love i can't remember what we've talked about we talked about off my i don't think we've talked um, as uh, as much as i wanted to uh, just a little bit more about thomas jane as miller um he, I mean, he's really convinced me that he goes from like a self-righteous but semi-corrupt cop to a murderous, you know, uh, selfish asshole to, you know, now trying to to take one for the team. I mean, he was ready to sacrifice. That was a very Battlestar move where they're like, he's, he was legitimately ready to sacrifice himself and then they twist the plot so that he doesn't die. Right. Um, which is fine. You know, that's good story. That's good TV storytelling. You can't kill Thomas Jane. We've, we're just starting to really get to know this guy. I, I feel mm-hmm. like, um, I mean, he take, you had to take him off his, uh, 
his little playgrounds and series, right? And have them in all these other environments like zero G, which, which they did pretty well. They did, yeah. they did zero G pretty well. Um, and I know I'm constantly referring to it, but it is a sci-fi show, um, that, you know, Stargate universe six, seven year, years ago did a lot of this sort of stuff. And I can right. see the, the influence. I, I think some of the production, uh, tricks, um, they're using, but it look even better. And this had two amazing, uh, spaceship things. I mean, one was extremely long, which was the launching of the giant capital ship from um uh from Tycho, which i can't remember the name of the ship and matt and i were trying to figure out so like they're launching the ship it looks so huge it looks like the whole base is being launched and then all these little like almost star wars type droidy things come flying out and it looked like they were used to push it out of out of space dock was that what was going on i need to watch it again I mean, they're just, they launch, I, I don't know. I, I mean, when it takes off, I, I think it's a, a really well done scene. I think it's quite majestic, it is. Um, you know, the way it's shot. And they make the size of the ship obvious, which is at, not easy to do because you don't have an IMAX screen to work with. So you can make it, you know, 20 feet tall. You're working with something that's going to appear on people's TVs. So if you can still convey the size of the ship... Oh, yeah. That's a really impressive piece of work. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, so you see it compared to you see the giant base, and the ship's like, you know, a quarter of the size of the base. That's how big it is. And then you see it next to the Rosinante, which looks tiny compared to it. But the Rosinante, I guess, is sort of like a, a destroyer, like a small battleship. So they need the, the military support, and they're going to use the other ship as um, essentially a uh, to fling against the asteroid and, and try and take the asteroid off course. Right? Uh yeah, so the, they want to use the ship as a battering ram so they can right. knock it into the sun, basically. Right, so they can't fully destroy the the asteroid. So the plan is, uh, on, on the big ship, put a bunch of you know space marines, basically, plus Thomas Jane, with explosives to you know basically blow up all the entrances to the base so that right. ev- even getting knocked off course, uh, hopefully for good, that no one would be able to get in. And of course, we see someone trying to get in, and it results in, in horribly. Um, and one of them getting infected, even though they're trying to help, and they try and escape. So uh, Holden's forced to destroy it, and, and, and the best Holden performance by far, his anger at having to blow up that, that civilian ship that claims it was just trying to help in order to pre- prevent the uh, the spread of the infection. Um, and then, of course, the big, uh, the second great space thing uh, was at the very end, was the big twist, which was that, you know, the giant uh, ship that was supposed to be a battering ram comes right at Thomas Jane and then curves at the last minute in a way that should be physically impossible, but they made look amazing, I thought. Yep. Um, and uh, so now the mystery is, okay, now it's hurtling towards Earth, spoiler alert, next week. Um, um, and so, you know, how did that happen? Um, and uh, it just looks really good. And by the way, the two giant zoom outs that were like mm-hmm. hyper fast, yep. you know, it was, it was like taking the, the Firefly uh, hyper zoom approach and multiplying it by 10 and going the other direction, I thought was really clever. 
and and again it, having you feel disoriented in space i mean again like i don't think like battlestar doesn't spend that much time in zero g or really in space you know you're in ships the whole time essentially and this show is doing a great job of of making it feel like 2001 a space odyssey you know like like mm-hmm. that that kind of feel i also want to point out that another weakness in battlestar is that you spend almost no time with the civilian fleet even though even though you know the whole point of the show is that they're protecting the final 40 50,000 people in the civilian fleet you spend 95% of the time either on the galactica or with the people of the galactica and the few episodes that go into the fleet never really work and are some of the weakest episodes yeah, in, in Battlestar whereas this show is all about the civilians and mm-hmm. so by having a smaller main cast it actually allows you to have more civilians like the, the young uh, Creole dude who's who is forming an affectionate bond uh, of insults uh, with uh, Thomas Jane's character Miller uh yeah uh diogo played but or diago played by a guy named andrew rotilio um i tried to look up more info on him and i couldn't find very much he doesn't have a wikipedia page and even his imdb page doesn't seem to say very much about like where he's from or uh, who he is um but yeah his dynamic is really interesting because you have the crusty jaded cynical old older man and thomas jane they do a good job of kind of making him look older uh and then you have this young upbeat optimistic uh you know guy who's always i mean diogo's always smiling you notice that that he's always grinning um that he thinks everything is awesome to reference the uh (laughs) lego movie song um and so to see them interact uh is really fascinating because in part they don't oversimplify their relationship you know diago is not gonna fight thomas jane when thomas jane offers to sacrifice himself so diago can live and thomas jane stops beating him over the head over you know trying to convince diago that joining the opa is the wrong call because he says okay you know what you want to do this fine you'll figure this out you'll see what i'm talking about and he leaves it at that Mm -hmm. um so their relationship is really complicated Mm -hmm. um so the one thing I'm still not clear about is his obsession, Miller's obsession with this woman, Julie Mao, who, by the way, is credited with being in every episode of The Expanse because of various flashbacks. Yeah, or I guess her her face shows up sometimes. Yes, she's in all, I mean, according to IMDb, she's in all 14 episodes. Um, I've finished watching the first full season. I've seen every episode now of The Expanse. I'm still not clear what his obsession is. Are we not supposed to know, or did I miss something in the first couple episodes of the first season? There's one line where he says something like, I never met her, but I... I don't know. I, I cannot tell if he ever met her or not. So, fuck it. I, I, I have no idea if they ever actually met each other or not and if not why he cares this much about her yeah. um which is you know, funny because if i'm sorry it was funny because if it was Battlestar, you're going is that a cylon angel <laughs> you know but in this con- you know like baltar's angels but like in this context right. he keeps hallucinating and seeing her i i, I it's this so, here's the thing it's sold totally by performance and the overall story and the setting you know if you really dissect it it makes zero sense but i'm fine with that uh I, yeah, I would probably. Um, yeah, I buy it. You know, I I don't mind his obsession. I accept that his character is obsessed. It doesn't feel forced. Yep. The fact that I don't quite get why it's that way. Yep. Whatever. 
there seems there's clearly something with him that makes him obsessed with this girl, with her loss hitting him this badly. Um, and the fact that the show hasn't explained it clearly or they just did it once and I missed it, I'm okay with that. It, it, it makes sense for his character to behave the way his character behaves. Absolutely. And people get obsessed over people for s- smaller reasons. So, you know, I mean, who, who knows? And hopefully there is a secret that we're going to find out and that'll be fun. So, um, I love it. I love that the, the, the virus is, is alive. Mm-hmm. You know, the last couple episodes of the first season are really hard to watch because of all the disease and the coughing and stuff that, that right. really, you know, actually, um, I almost had trouble getting through a, a season one of Breaking Bad because of all the Walt coughing stuff. And I had to ask someone, I'm like, does his coughing stop after a while? And they're like, yeah, it stops. I'm like, okay, good. You know, it's like that, that kind of sweating and coughing. I have trouble, um, you, you know, looking at, which actually ties in pretty well, uh, to our next show. Um, unless you have anything, uh, you wanted to say about, um, expands which, which i think just keeps getting better it might just be getting better in my head i don't know if it's actually getting better on screen but i've loved this season so far yeah um i, I i've really enjoyed it so far um i think each episode has actually been better than the last um i i thought this episode was quite creepy when they get to the dead station and then the fact yeah. that it does come a lot you know that it suddenly starts moving right at the end right before the Nauvoo hits yeah. and you hear the the screeching protomolecule voice stuff so clearly that the protomolecule saw this threat coming and moved the station to save itself mm-hmm. that's cool um and yeah. and that's a great point which goes back to you know, you see what you think is the ship turning like 90 degrees on a dime. Right. Uh, and you're going, well, this is just him hallucinating. We've already seen him hallucinating before. Um, and then, you, and then you realize, yeah, it's arrows sent the asteroid or whatever that's, that's moving. So that should be cool. I guess speaking of the, the, the asteroid hurling towards earth, what they just spoiled in the, you know, in the, uh, next week on the expanse. Um, right. <sighs> Agdashlu is great. I'm not thrilled with all the other characters involved with the politics on Earth, but it's not it's not some, it's not to the point where it like really bothers me. Yeah, I I mean that whole part of this plot really really minor. I, I think it's literally one scene. Um, yeah, and that's fine. I mean, Jules Pierre Mao and the guy and the guy in the UN. Obviously, they're the bad guys conspiring for something. I'm sure we'll find out what it is later. Yep. Um, and Sharae Agdashlu's character only has the one scene this time, but I have no doubt that they're going to be giving her much larger prominence in many more of the episodes left this season. So, yep. you know, to have one just focused on this plot, that makes sense because I, I think you kind of needed to tell this story pretty much unbroken yep. to keep the suspense going. Uh, yeah, I guess my, my final thought, this isn't really a criticism because it's something I like about season two, but also I can see having problems down the road, which is, you know, for most of season one, it seemed like all the main characters in the different places were hiding things. You know, it seemed like mm-hmm. Naomi was hiding things. It seemed like Amos was hiding things. It seemed like early, early, early on Kamal was hiding things. Agdashlu uh, definitely seemed like she was hiding things. Uh, Thomas Jane hiding things. Now everyone's, uh, in terms of the main six cast or whatever, you know, the six build cast, they're kind of all 
you know, like on board with each other. I mean, even Agdashu's on board, even though she hasn't communicated with them directly, it seems like. I'm hoping she has more tricks up her sleeve, you know, by, by spending time with the head of the UN and the, um, and Julie Mao's dad. You know, they were very condescending towards her. I'm hoping she has some plays, uh, against them that, you know, are, are, are somewhat devious, even for the cause of good. We didn't see the Mars Marines at all in this one, also. Um, right. And didn't uh, really miss them. Didn't need them. And, uh, um, but does, does that make sense? Like, everyone's just who they are now. And I'm totally fine with that, you know? Like, that they'll be battling inner demons as opposed to, like, some specific secret. Because it almost seemed forced at times in the first season. Like, oh, I have all of these dark secrets. You know what I mean? Like, no, you don't. You know, you're just trying to survive. And I like that they're all just kind of trying to survive together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think they've kind of done away with the, you know, everybody's got secrets thing, which was definitely part of season one. Um, but now it's, there's a real external threat. There are, there's a, um, military, uh, you know, there's a, an, in a company that's trying to start a private war for whatever reason. And there's this weird alien molecule that is clearly doing something and it's, it's come, it's planning something and it's executing that plan. And it's clearly better suited to defend itself against people trying to stop it than anyone's taking seriously. So this thing is really a threat. And so whatever secret bullshit you have, not important. You got real people you need to be worried about right now. Yep. Um, All right. Well, let's pivot to uh, episode two of Legion on FX, um, two of eight so that we know about and called chapter two, very original episode titles. <laughs> um, and uh, I have, man, I have two, I have two thoughts about Legion and I'm going to let you talk um, about, about it uh, for, for as long as you want. My first general thought is I'm still not bought into the show. And it's not because I don't think it's a good show. It's just too much weird, insane disorientation. It just makes my head hurt. It's not pleasurable at all. Um, I, you know, I, and uh, I'm hoping things come into a little bit more focus for our lead character. And maybe this mission he's going on with his quote-unquote girlfriend um, we can't touch, uh, you know, provide some clarity. Cause if we, if, if we know anything about young mutants, it's that, you know, anger and, uh, a sense of purpose tends to channel their powers for, for good or bad. So I guess it could go either way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping they maintain at least that thematic part of the X-Men because this is completely ignoring anything about the X-Men whatsoever. I- I'm com- not clear at all why this needed to be an X-Men property. To be honest with you, if this was the same exact show with the same exact cast and had nothing to do with X-Men, I probably wouldn't even be watching it. Um, uh-huh. not that I disagree with you that it, it, it shouldn't, um, you know, take liberties and, and, you know, even stay away from the stereotypical mutant and comic book stuff. I'm fine with that. I'm just saying I, you know, the, the style of the show while beautiful to watch, um, is hard to watch at times and hard to listen to, um, with all the crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, I took, I took a note about this and we don't have to get so super deep, but you know, the bottom line is, if you're someone who has experienced anything like depression or anxiety, you know, bipolar, like whatever, like any kind of psychological issues, I, I feel like 
you're going to look at his psychological issues and, you know, everyone's are, are different. And so you can't just, you know, like this isn't like a model for like what craziness looks like because it's different for everybody. And that's fine. Right. But you can feel over or even if you just know people who have gone through this and have talked to them, it can this can seem kind of oversimplified the same way, you know, Claire Danes is bipolar can seem oversimplified in Homeland by necessity. Um, it, you know, in terms of how they characterize it, they're certainly trying to complicate it as much as possible here, which I, which I like. Um, but if you haven't experienced anything like this and don't know people or haven't talked to people who have, I'm not sure this really provides much insight into mental illness because he's so severely schizophrenic and because he has mutant powers, it's easy to just, to just chalk it up to that. Um, so that's not really a criticism of execution so much as the level of difficulty that they're facing with the premise. Yeah, so I have battled mental illness throughout my life, and none of that shit. I disagree with all of it. I had no problems with its portrayal. I have no problems with its depiction. I think there's a lot of stuff in it that actually does speak to me. Specifically, there's a phrase that um, Rachel Keller's character mentions repeatedly, which is do the work. And therapy is often portrayed as work. You have to work at getting better. You have to work at thinking through what you're experiencing and why you're experiencing it and how you can stop yourself from experiencing it again in a way that debilitates you the way depression or schizophrenia or, or any mental illness can. You have to work at uh, processing it and you have to work at, at developing a strategy for the next time it happens. How are you going to survive it without, as David Holler tries to do, putting a noose around your neck and it's work it's practice and training and education and so to depict his mental health and his mutant training as a process that takes time i thought was an incredibly honest portrayal of mental illness in a way that mental illness is often misportrayed because people just say buck up get over it get better like getting recovering from a mental illness is like start taking a pill, snap your fingers and you're fine. No, it takes a long ass time to get better and it takes a program. It takes people who know, who are trained to help you work through shit and help you learn how to work through it yourself. So I actually found Legion quite accurate in some respects. Now, every person who has battled mental illness is going to interpret it differently, I'm sure. But for me, it didn't bother me at all, and it felt honest. Uh, and I like the weird craziness of it all. Regardless of whether or not that's true to schizophrenia or not, I have absolutely no idea. But I find it incredibly unique. No other superhero show is going anywhere near this kind of storytelling. Um, and I find it believable. I believe this is happening to this guy. Um, yeah, and some I, of that yeah. is the... Really, Dan Stevens, I liked him in the first episode. I loved him in the second episode. The twitches and the ticks and the way he sniffles, all of that is really accurate to somebody who has been debilitated for a long time by a really bad mental illness. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, I, that was not, again, this was not meant as a straight-up criticism. What I, what I said was they are taking on a huge challenge, but they're trying to do. Um, sure. and good. he is a good, I agree, but he is severely mentally, uh, disturbed. Yes. But, but by, but, but, but what I'm saying is it almost minimizes it by making it a mutant thing. 
And so I worry about that, you know, that uh, people who haven't experienced it or who are the people who just say, suck it up, can watch this and say, oh, this is a mutant thing. This doesn't happen in real life. Uh, That's what I said. This is going to be a, I'm saying the premise is a challenge for them. I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying it's a challenge. Sure. Like as someone, uh, just uh, as someone myself who has also gone through issues, not this severe, but who's gone through some issues uh, along these lines, you know, in some ways, Jessica Jones spoke to me a little bit more in the sense of it being a little bit more relatable. You know, the severity of it mixed with the mutancy, um, you know. But again, I, I maybe, you know, like, uh, it's it's going to be person to person. And I, I like that they're uncompromising in it. Um, it, it it's, I'm just saying, this particular portrayal, um, it, it should feel way more over the top than it is. They're doing it very tastefully. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just... Uh, you know, I just, I, it worries me that when they portray mental illness in TV shows, it's usually severe, like here and in Homeland, for example, you know, whereas most people who uh, have psychological issues are in the mild to moderate um, category. And we just don't get that, you know, you know, like we need more like people like, I don't know. I mean, maybe we just need shows where everyone's facing psychological issues because the bottom line is everyone is. Right. Although, again, this show, and this is like literally a line from this past episode, Melanie Bird tells David Haller, you're not schizophrenic. You have been told you're schizophrenic. That is the old narrative of people who don't understand what you are trying to convince you, you know, interpreting what, you know, your symptoms the only way they know how. You are a mutant with superpowers that manifest as hearing voices and hallucinating and having visions and whatnot. But all of that isn't hallucination. It's real. You are really experiencing something on a level most people can't. And that's why, you know, in this show, being a mutant is the stand-in for being mentally ill instead of actually having mentally ill mutants. You know, and so this idea of taking real therapeutic concepts like the idea of treating your therapy as work that you have to do to get better. They are just saying, okay, you are mutants doing the work to learn how to control your powers. Um, so I, I think the parallel works. Um, but, but, but I don't see how that helps the, those of us because we don't have those powers. There's no other life. It's just the suffering, you know, there's no superpowers that comes with it. Right. But I think the idea of being made whole, which right. is an expression that Melanie Bird uses when talking to David, and I think Rachel Keller's character uses it too. Yeah. The idea that if you put the work in, will yes. you have telekinetic powers and be able to teleport an MRI machine outside of a building? No. But you might feel whole, that right. you might feel hopeful uh, you know, towards your own future, and that you know, the desire to end the voices by tying a – putting a noose around your neck yeah. that will go away if you do the work. And I agree you with know, you that, um, being of do the work, which I also love that, that they're using that mechanism. Um, uh, anything that normalizes being weird, but also the therapy being a positive or possibly positive thing is, is awesome. I'm a hundred percent behind it. Um, you know, right now this shows in my ca- category of moonlight, the movie, which is I love everything it's about and that it's trying to say and like from a political social standpoint is I'm a thousand and a half percent behind it. It just hasn't spoken to me artistically yet. 
That's uh, that's that's my only. It's not even a criticism. I'm just saying it hasn't grabbed me on that level. Everything it's trying to say, and the actors are great. The film, you know, the way it's shot is awesome. Uh, you know, I just hasn't you know narratively grabbed me yet. Um, and maybe they've just been doing a lot of world building, and that's fine. I, look, I'm watching this whole season, and I'm hoping for it to be successful, and I'm hoping for me to like it more and more each week. I agree. This was a cooler episode than last week. Um, but my, my my second point feeds directly off off that first point, actually better than I thought, which was, you know, the opening uh, Melanie Bird speech about imagine a world was exactly the the uh, the Morpheus thing. I loved it. I mean, you know, right. imagine a world that isn't real but is real. You know, the whole thing. And uh, I, I, whether that was a, a conscious nod or not, I don't know. I don't even care. I'd be happy either way. But you know, it is it is it is Neo in the, the the construct for the first time being told that he's you know not hallucinating that weird shit is going on and there is a real world. But dude, the the thing is 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 weak as the 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 sequels were. The the bigger problem for me, just from a philosophical and psychological standpoint about the about the Matrix sequels was that. So the Matrix is based on the demon in the mind scenario that Descartes talked about, which goes back to Plato's, um, you know, shadows in the in the cave. You know, how, how can you tell the real world from a simulation of a real of right. the real world? That's exa- I mean, the Matrix is directly from that. It's the Cartesian. Um, uh, the only thing you know is that you're thinking, right? The, right. the only thing you can be a hundred percent sure of is that you're thinking because you're thinking about that you're thinking. Everything else is up for speculation and skepticism, and mm-hmm. that's kind of alienating. And that is the world we live in. And the Matrix tapped into that at the perfect time in the perfect way. But the problem is, as soon as they got out of the Matrix, the movies just became about fighting the Matrix without addressing the fact that they could be in another Matrix. Or even if they're not in another Matrix, they are in a Matrix of the mind. So even once Neo and Trinity and Morpheus are outside the Matrix that they're aware of, they don't address the problem that they're still stuck in their own heads. And that from an existential standpoint, they're completely alone. Uh, you know, And I'm wondering if this, sh- this show has the potential to actually address those issues on a much deeper level. Because they are specifically talking about the prison of the mind and not a stand-in... In, which in the Matrix movies was the Matrix, so this actually right. has this has the ability to to talk about the Matrix of the mind, and, and that speech you know launched that line of thought. But um, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to try and go that philosophically deep, you know, or whether it's just going to be uh, you're weird. We're going to do some therapy and some mutant stuff, and we're going to just kind of move on. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that they do keep philosoph- philosophically challenging themselves because, you know, the very end of Matrix Revolutions, the war over, and, and Morpheus looks up and he goes, is this real? I don't know if the Wachowskis realized the irony of that line. I think they did and thought more people would think that was clever and they were just so out of the movie by that point that they didn't even mm-hmm. care. But that's yeah. the whole point of Morpheus's character is that, you know, he, he thinks he knows everything and then he becomes a doubting Thomas, right? And then he becomes a believer in the end. <laughs> but he shouldn't be. He should be just as skeptical of the of the Zion world as he was of the Matrix world, right? Philosophically speaking. And so this is this kind of by by making it more relatable, but specifically about the mind in this in this show, 
I really like that. So I'm excited about the, the philosophical and psychological possibilities of it, in addition to the more, yes, relatable stuff about therapy and acceptance and, and stuff like that. I know that was a little long-winded, but it was something that, that, that made me think a lot about the episode. And hey, I'll, I'll give you this, and this is my final thought about Legion, is, is both episodes have been extremely thought-provoking, to say the least. Yeah, um, no, I agree. And did they kill uh, Aubrey Plaza already? Yeah, she's dead. She died in the first season episode. I know, but it was. It's, is she real? I don't yes. know if she's real. She well, this show is interesting because all of David's life is basically framed through therapy sessions in one form or another. There is all of the therapy sessions in the the mental hospital. Then there's the interview with the got with the government agent, which is sort of its own therapeutic session then there's the inner the therapy with the black guy the black psychiatrist in episode two and then there's all the therapy shit with um you know in the the stand-in for xavier's school so there's always this question of what exactly is real and what is the present because it doesn't seem like david is totally sure himself um Mm -hmm. in the same way that dr manhattan and watchmen lives simultaneously at different points in his own history, including the future and the past, as well as the present, David has a really hard time distinguishing reality from fantasy, from the past, from the present, and even seems to have vague premonitions of the future. Um, so, Which I'm yes, hoping I, is the case. I'm hoping we get some, some prescience going on. You know, I think Aubrey Plaza is a real person, and I think that happened prior to what is supposed to be the present setting for this show. But I think the show doesn't want you to be totally sure about that. I had to say, Aubrey Plaza scoring drugs on the street and saying Mazel Tov was amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and also... She's, she's uh, yeah. so good. She's amazing. I, I'm so sad that she's only going to be in one more episode, I think. Um, but... Uh, um, yeah. You know, now that I know that the part was written for a middle-aged man, and she talks about like fingering girls and stuff like that, it's just hilarious. Um, uh, um, the whole stove thing was was hysterical. Um, yeah, she's a character. I totally get why they're doing to her what they're doing, but it's going to be a shame when she when she leaves. And we know most of these characters are not around, other than the main like three or four. Um, the young uh, black guy, it seems very promising. Um, yeah, Tonomy. I really liked him in this episode. I thought he was kind of understated in his character, um, which I actually thought really worked. Um, you know, when he's standing over David and just hands him milk, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I loved, I also loved the, uh, they're sitting when they're on the swing set or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just says, I want to hug you. <laughs> you think he's going to say, I want to kiss you. He says, I want to hug you. And she just goes, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> so they're kind of making her an amalgamation of Rogue and Jean Grey, I think, is yeah. what's going on. Um, and now Although, they're going on a mission together, which, I mean, the end, I, I, the, I really hated the, the mustache twirling at the end. That, that was the, my only problem with the episode. Right. And I don't quite know why you needed it, because... It's clear David isn't going to go off half-cocked to rescue his sister. He's going to try to train himself up a little bit first. And then, you know, there is some showdown coming. Uh, obviously, yep. there is some showdown coming. Yep. Um, I So I don't quite know why we needed to put his sister in danger in episode two when all that's going to do is make him more tense and uncomfortable because he knows there's this threat, uh, but he's not ready to take it on. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's not Luke and, and Dagobah running off before he's ready. Um, so, yeah, I the weird – the guy with the weird eyes, I don't know what his deal is yet. I'm not super invested in his, like, shtick. Mm-hmm. I'm more curious about the, the, the guy character so far only known as the devil with the yellow eyes um, because – Clearly, that's a real person because when Sid is in David's body, she sees it too. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly something like it's like a real thing, whatever it is. Well, also, uh, there's a ton of mutants, good and bad, with yellow eyes. Uh, most sure. notably, Nightcrawler and Mystique. <clears throat> right. I, I um, think the way the devil character, because I don't know what the hell else to call him, looks doesn't really lend credence to either of those characters. Um, I think it has something to do with it's a it has something to do with his with Charles Xavier honestly be, because one he's bald and he's sort of decrepit in a in a weird way and it I think David's relationship to his father all of that stuff is going to be an ongoing plot and I think that guy that we meet in season two is essentially his stepfather and in the comics you know, Xavier fathers David Haller without knowing he has a son. He meets David's mother at a Holocaust survival hospital in Israel. And so I guess David Haller's Jewish. Uh, oh, yeah. And then impregnates her, doesn't realize as it goes back to America and then meets, I'm not even sure he ever meets Legion, but Legion is born later. Mm-hmm. So I think he's got some repre- repressed crap going on in his own mind about his father, his biological father. And I think that's going to ultimately turn out to be some manifestation of Charles Xavier. Mm-hmm. Or it's like the single scariest, creepiest version of the blob that we've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I remember you mentioning the blob. Um, it was interesting that they said with his MRI that he had an extremely large amygdala. Yeah, which is the the where the fear response is and where emotions yeah, are. Yeah, kind of emotional uh, switch switchboard. All right. Well, um, if you remember in um, Ariel, the episode of Firefly. Yeah, that's. Ex- it turns yeah. out that River Tam's amygdala was removed. I believe that he said they shaved it or stripped it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, but he's but Simon says she feels everything, but it's it's unclear whether the removal of the amygdala would lead to more feeling or less feeling. Um, I think it's it's where the a feeling is processed. Yeah, I think that's the idea with River Tam is that she feels the raw emotion and can't process it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this, the fact that this is the opposite, is interesting. And they do, you know, they. I mean, David Haller and River Tam are manifesting insanity in completely different exactly, ways. Exactly. Yeah. So that's I mean, fine. she hears voices. She hears the Miranda voices, mm-hmm. and she can hear. She can sort of, if the Reavers kill people, like in Bushwhacked, she can sort of hear their the dead people's voices too. So, you know, they both have a real power, a psychic power that manifests as, you know, more or less schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, my final, I guess my final point, um, in terms of the setting is that they're specifically trying to screw with our minds and not let us know what time period this is in. And, and I yes. was, I was thinking that's what was going on, but I looked it up and that indeed they're specifically like mixing up. Ca- they're not having a lot of cars. And when they have cars, right. they're from like different time periods and like the clothing and the decorations, like you're never really sure what's going on, which is all really interesting. I'm just the sustainability mm-hmm. of, of the show. It, it, this is such a huge endeavor they've taken on and so i will give them tons of props and kudos 
kudos for for attempting to do this. And I don't know if they're planning on doing more than eight episodes, but if they are, and the response is as good as it seems it's been so far, it's got like a nine point one on IMDb, and the critics love it. Um, right? And they have to. They need a plan of you know a lot of plot going. They they can they can live on this stuff for eight episodes, but if you're going to want to go multiple seasons, you have to set something up. And my guess is they are they are leading to something at, at the end of this first season, but we will have to see. Yeah, my hunch is that um, they are they are conceiving of this show as something that could go beyond the initial eight episodes. You know, FX has another eight episode thing on the air right now. Taboo. We haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks just because we're not. Oh, yeah. It's it's too many things. But that stro- show ha- strikes me as one that's going to tell a complete story in eight episodes. Mm-hmm. Now they might do another mini series next year. But I think they're going to wrap everything up by the eighth episode, which is in two weeks. Uh, so my, but my hunch with uh, this is they will set up something that will have they will end with enough strands left that they could easily get a second season mm-hmm. if FX wants to, if Noah Hawley wants to do it. Um, you know, the next thing he's doing is another season of Fargo, so he's got other shit he wants to do. Oh, I didn't know Fargo was coming back. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, well, you know, we've seen with Whedon and others that you can juggle multiple shows at once. Um, mm-hmm. It's possible to do. Um, they're certainly doing the wor- the world building work uh, that would make it seem like like it's a possibility. But we'll have to see. So, all right, man. Well, we'll end on a couple comic book shows. One of which are big positive for you, and one of which is a, kind of a big negative. Um, and so I'll, I'll let you uh, lead us out talking about these shows and you can do it in, in either order you want. All right. Well, let's uh, end on a happy note. So I'm going to go with the negative first. <laughs> I was hoping you'd choose that, that path. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, Agents of shield, who fucking cares at this point? Seriously, <laughs> I don't. Does, I, I, you don't. I watched the show and multiple times in this past episode, which is just more of this life model decoy, another robot thing, robot infiltration of S.H.I.E.L.D. plot. The whole time I'm just yelling, who cares? Who the fuck cares? I mean, you know, there's more of this Inhumans watchdogs, the, the terrorists who hate the Inhumans and want to kill them. We finally meet the Russian bad guy who I guess is behind all of it. And he's really lame and boring. And when Phil Coulson finally meets him and hears his story, he tells him, this is a uh, quote, cool origin, bro. <laughs> and, and then basically says, I don't even remember this mission. I don't remember what we were doing there. I don't remember they were retrieving a, an alien artifact in 084. But I don't remember what the object was. This is what Coulson says. I don't remember you. You mean absolutely nothing to me, and I don't give a shit about you. And I don't think anybody on this show or connected to the show gives a shit about it either. The writing is bland and boring, and the whole the actors are checked out. They're, the direction is pretty bland. I mean, just none of this seems to matter. And no other superhero show makes me throw up my hands and say, who cares? Not even Gotham. Gotham, I throw up my hands and say other things like, why the fuck did you do that? Um, or what's wrong with you? But at least it seems like these people are are trying. They're they're trying to I, I don't know what, but they're trying something. This is I'm watching a bunch of people who are like 
just completely gassed and and just disinterested at this point well i i Um, think that i mean for me the egregious things are as follows a you have a cast of really talented actors who could all be good leads or co-leads or secondary characters on good shows elsewhere so it's a huge waste of talent especially the young actors really makes me mad when young actors get mad especially because some of the characters like sky and fitz and simmons in the early seasons were really compelling you know yeah and so they're it's just even more fucked up i'm not worried those three in particular i think will be fine going forward they're clearly very talented um number two they already have a pre-made marvel cinematic universe which is doing well almost everywhere else except on television right Uh, and so you know gotham is trying something completely different this should be a cakewalk to make at least above average television i don't know what they're doing i think i think kevin feige decided to tank this behind the scenes years ago and and this is this is the result maybe i i mean yeah. i've heard kevin feige's actually a little bit like i mean if you're an artistic t- let's put it this way I don't think the, the the Marvel directors are being given as much creative artistic freedom as as they say, or we're we're being led to believe. You know, yeah, it's, no. it's Kevin. Like Kathleen Kennedy has been letting the Star Wars directors have a lot of freedom for the most part, compared to the Marvel directors, is what I'm hearing and reading. Right, which is why when I read quotes from Taika Waititi or Ryan Coogler about how making a Marvel movie is like making an independent film. Oh yeah. I can't help but roll my eyes and totally. think if you weren't ordered to say that, you are, you know, just com- you have decided on your own to toe the company line. Well, I, no, no, I think they they genuinely believe it because they're they're acculturated to what's going on. I guess. I, I mean, I'm with you. You know, Kevin Feige is not. You know, at least Jeff Johns is a comic creator. He's actually has an artistic side to him, the guy running DC mm-hmm. for the DC Entertainment. Kevin Feige, as far as I know, is just a studio exec. He's a studio exec who believes in his product a lot, which is great because Warner Brothers, beyond Jeff Johns, I don't think believes in its, mo- its movie product, oh, at yeah. least. I, I think... Well, not to mention... Sorry, not to mention Kathleen Kennedy, who's the show, the the the, the showrunner, quote unquote, of the Star Wars, uh, right. Lucasfilm, has like forty right. years of experience producing Steven Spielberg movies. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so you know that's a fair amount of street cred right there. Yeah, I'd say um, so. A- and knowing, you know, let's we can we can say this about Spielberg: the dude's got a vision and he goes for it. He doesn't always mm-hmm. hit, and sometimes he misses big time. But he's hit uh, in terms of big movies way more than anyone else and oh, so yeah. Ka- Kathleen Kennedy yeah, has been the primary executive producer on a lot of his most famous films and so she knows it's important to give you know I mean I mean um uh what's his uh who directed um Rogue One blanking on his name uh Gareth oh. Edwards yeah, yeah, yeah has said numerous times that as, it would, as soon as they justified to Kathleen Kennedy why they wanted to kill off everyone they got no flack for it and were allowed to do it the exact way they wanted to so say what you right. about Rogue One but Gareth Edwards was allowed to see his vision through and I think mm-hmm. that it, that that shows through uh, that show uh, shows through um and uh yeah and I think the MCU is as we've been sort of building towards a little bit and we'll save this for uh, for you know an MCU podcast a little bit down the road it's it's going to have a huge crisis following the Avengers finales. I, I don't see any of the properties other than maybe Black Panther, and even then, I, I'm not confident that they'll give Coogler and whoever else enough leeway. I'm not seeing properties like Doctor Strange and Ant Man and even Captain Marvel taking them way way down, um, way far down. 
And I think no, Agents I, of Shield is just another casualty of of them having almost too strict of a vision of what they want, not letting it be organic. Right. It's also, I mean, for the actors and the and the creators on Shield, it's got to be pretty dispiriting to be essentially told and be told publicly, you guys are second best. You know, you guys are runner up, the dreg in the universe. You get the hand-me-downs of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You get the B-list actor characters that are friends with the main ones, yeah. uh, except for, you know, the two episodes where ja- Sam Jackson showed up, you know, that's gotta be a bummer. And Chloe Chang has gone on record. Chloe right. Bennett, excuse me. Right. Uh, Chang was her original last name, I believe. Oh. Um, she has gone on record as saying it's bullshit. The way we have been treated as a show that we are not allowed to be really part of the MCU. We are just shat on by the rest of the MCU. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and not, not, I mean, an insult to injury is that even though the only Netflix series I've loved is Jessica Jones, for the most part, the series have been critically acclaimed, and so yes. they're given more freedom, maybe less money, but more freedom, uh, and uh, you know, have been much, much, much better received by both critics and audiences. And you know, I think people will still be watching Daredevil and Jessica Jones five years from now. I'm not sure anyone will be watching Agents of Shield five years from now. I mean, I know uh, technically it's going to be on the air two years from now. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it's technically in syndication territory, but I don't think it gets picked up. No, I, I think it'll get syndicated so. just because there are so few companies with so many channels that I'm sure uh, Disney could just find one of its lesser channels and shove it on that. Um, so I, I'm not really worried about it getting picked up for syndication at all. Um, you know, regarding the money, I don't know what the budgets are, but Netflix does give out big contracts to make shows. Well, that's shows. the question is how and much is Marvel? And all three of those shows yeah. look better than S.H.I.E.L.D. does. Yes. So well, they're if also they're getting less to- money, they're doing more with less. That's true, but they also aren't trying to pull off Quinjets five times an episode and stuff like that. I mean, it's just... I mean, Jessica Jones had almost zero special effects, which is part of what made it so great um, yeah. for me. And I think Luke Cage was probably similar um, in, in that Very way. Very little, yeah. And Daredevil doesn't have a ton of CGI. It has a lot of, like, squibs and, and yeah. bloody effects and things like that. You know... NCW, How many times can yeah. you see a Quinjet and it's cool? I mean, I, yeah. I think they have Quinjets show up way too often on yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, th- as we've talked about, and this will be a good transition uh, to to more happy thoughts. Um, you know, uh, what, I love Arrow because it's a cooler Daredevil for me in terms of just being all practical stuff and and real fighting. And then when they do stuff like Flash and Supergirl, they go way over the top and they just make it look cool, even if it's a little campy. Mm-hmm. And Shield can't seem to strike that balance. They want to be like campy and realistic at the same time. You can't you can't have it both ways, people. I, yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. Um, so you want to, you know, I just shield yeah. whatever. That's a, I, it, it's just the whole show is a whatever. So I mean, as a friend, as a friend and a, a, a coworker, <laughs> I am giving you permission to stop watching shield. Yeah, I, I want to see it through. I mean, at this point, it's so few episodes. I still have to commit to watching to say I watched all of it, yeah. uh, that I probably will stick it out. If it gets renewed, then I'm really going to have to think if I want to continue with for the fifth season, unless they, you know, the first half of season five, four, whatever season we're on was okay because it's cool to have a guy with a flaming skull and a muscle car doing his shit. So, you know, ghost rider was neat. I don't know why they got rid of him. Why couldn't ghost rider have just been the plot of the whole season? Um, 
he Robbie Reyes was more interested and uh, Diego, whatever the actor's name is, more interesting than anybody who has come on in the second half. And I, I don't know why they thought that the whole robots and inhuman terrorist, inhuman hating terrorist group, that was the thing fans wanted more of. I'm yeah. pretty sure most fans wanted more fucking Ghost Rider. Yeah, well, to be fair, I'll probably end up watching at least some of it when it comes to Netflix during the <laughs> summer when there's almost nothing else on television. Um, well, maybe you'll disagree with me. Maybe I will. And, uh, you know, it's almost one of those shows which I wish wasn't an ensemble cast because if, if there was more Chloe Bennett, I'd be more likely to watch it, you know, because right. I, I, can, I can watch shows for a handful of lead characters even when they're not great. But when it's, you know, I mean. Gabriel Luna. Yeah, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do an ensemble cast, you gotta you gotta nail it like Battlestar and <laughs> Agents of Shield. Ain't no Battlestar. No. <laughs> so let's uh, finish with Supergirl. I was able to get through some of it. I know what it's about. It's a Luther thing. I would love to hear uh, if you. I mean, just for my sake and for the listeners, if they haven't seen all the episodes, um, well, you can talk about whatever you want. I know you have specific points, but also interested in how the Luther situation is worked into this this alternate universe where it's Supergirl merged with Superman ish. Right. So in the first season. Um there was kind of a stand-in character for Lex Luthor named Maxwell Lord, uh, a, a character from the comics. He's got a whole backstory, a, a bad dude. That, that's kind of all I'm going to say about him. They got rid of him at the end of season one. I'm not sure why. Uh, I keep thinking he's going to show back up, but they haven't brought him back yet, and we're halfway through the season. So maybe he really, maybe the actor didn't want to come back. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, so they introduced Lena Luther, um, who is also a character from the comics, um, Lex's sister, but she's like a good guy. She's a decent person, um, who, uh, you know, wants to kind of get away from Lex Luther's, uh, history of being a sociopathic businessman who hates Superman. Um, and then they introduced Brenda Smart, uh, who is a longstanding actress, a lot of people might know her as the captain of the ship in Starship Troopers, um, the one that Amy Smart and her f- boyfriend, they serve under her, and then they take over her ship after her character is killed. Oh, and really quick, um, really quick, Starship Troopers was among the properties we should have mentioned uh, informing oh, the yeah. expanse. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, um, and we, I guess we, we didn't really bring it up because the Mars Marines are going to be super Starship troopers I think so. Yeah. Um, Sorry, but, go ahead. Anyway, uh, but I really, uh, you know, she's she plays Lex's mom, uh, like Leanna Luther or something like that, and very she's been evil, in a lot of stuff. very phrasal. Yeah, familiar. this actress has been around for a really long time, um, and so the whole plot is basically her mom, who Lena turned in Brenda Strong, excuse me, not Brenda Smart, um, who her Lena turned her mom in after her mom tried to drop a biological agent into the atmosphere that would kill all aliens at the mid break season break of season of this season. Her mom finds a way to stage to frame um, Lena for her mother's breakout from prison. And then, you know, they, she tries to use her daughter to gain access to Lex's anti-alien weaponry. Metallo comes back, cyborg Superman played by David Harewood as Hank Henshaw, who is the cyborg Superman in the comics as well, shows up. They fight. Eventually, uh, 
Kara and Supergirl, basically Kara Danvers is friends with Lena Luthor. And then Supergirl shows up to save her at the end and says, Kara Danvers believes in you. And so, you know, it's a nice moment for them. Nice episode. Makad Brooks is back as Guardian and really, I found him to be whiny. Um, I, I, you know, her, his whole deal is how can you trust Lena and you still don't trust me? None of it did anything for me. I think, I, I think again, not having seen the whole episode, he's a writing issue though. I don't think that's the actor's fault completely because when, when the, the opening oh. scene where he's learning about the coming out and giving her hugs and stuff was really sweet. You know, I yeah. really, I really bought and that. And I love that scene. I, that whole Great coming scene. out scene, I thought, uh, to introducing, uh, Alex introducing Maggie to yeah. all of her friends great scene i thought it was really really good um i like when monel is like is that okay on earth and she's like well there's some who are against it and some were forward he's like well on dax some were like the more the merrier so um i like i liked that uh i i am starting to move away from my fear that monel is going to turn out to be a bad guy i think uh his parents are are or the king and queen of daxum are coming to supergirl pretty soon the King is going to be played actually by Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. Uh, you got to love too, by the way, that it was a super Star Trek moment where he was like, where I come from, this isn't considered weird yeah. at all. Very Spock kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a good episode. Uh, I don't take James's complaint seriously because it's not just that Kara doesn't want a human doing this kind of fighting, you know, trying to be a hero it's because james has no training all he has is a suit you know Kara in the pilot episode of season one goes into a training f- room with alex where they you they either flood the room with low levels of kryptonite or red sun radiation and take her powers away and alex kicks the shit out of her so she can teach Kara how to fight Right. You know, James just has a suit, and as we keep seeing, it's not enough because he's not trained. He keeps getting yeah. shot. He keeps getting burned. He's totally hurt. the male Laurel. I mean, that's he's the Laurel of Supergirl. He's in yeah. every way possible. He's it's no offense to Katie Cassidy, who I'm sure is very nice in real life, but you just want <laughs> him to go away. Is getting a little unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, Yes, okay. but you're right. I mean, I want James to go away, honestly, more than I ever wanted Katie Cassidy to go away. I'm still bummed that they killed her character rather than tried to fix her character. Because well, I think, no, yeah, I agree with that, and I liked her. Fixable. And unlike James, I actually liked her better when she was Black Canary and just being bitchy and badass. You know, embrace right. the bitchiness. Yeah, yeah. Um, it certainly made more sense than her lawyer stuff. So, whatever. James shows up. It's right. a thing. Well, just to be fair, season one Laurel is great because that that made a ton of sense. I don't know what happened to the writing for her after season one when she was doing like goody two shoes stuff. And, And by the way, I mean, this is the Curtis problem, too, when you're talking about James is like, don't make these guys so muscle bound, you know, like, right. It was important that Felicity. Yes, she's sweet and she's cute. And I guess she's maybe sexy in, in a weird way. Not really my type. I just find Felicity hilarious, but it's important that she's tiny and not a th- ever a threat to be a physical fighter, you know, like right. to, to make Curtis so muscle bound and have him try and do a million things. And you have, you know, James and even the, who's the, who's the, the white computer kid and, uh, and Supergirl. He's, he's looks like he's taken creatine five times a day. I mean, come on. 
Right. It's one thing you to know, cast beautiful actors for show, for ratings. I understand that. But to have everyone be so super strong and therefore they can be superheroes is, is insane. Yeah, I agree. And in a moment that I thought worked for Laurel's character, she seeks out Ted Grant to teach her how to fight. She seeks out Nyssa to teach her how to fight. Yep. James isn't doing anything to become a better version of the Guardian. He is just relying on tech that somebody else built for him that he barely understands. I mean, he's he's kind of similar to the Flash in that the other people are kind of telling what the, the Flash what to do, and he just executes their strategies, which I really do want the Flash to get away from because mm-hmm. it's it's a little boring to have everybody else solving all of his problems. But I think they're getting better at that, but I, I still think they got a long ways to go to get away from the somebody in his ear telling him how to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But James... I'd like his character more if I saw him actually trying to be better at being the guardian. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. The episode is what it is. I love Supergirl. I, you know, I enjoyed it because I always enjoy Supergirl. Uh, but really what did it for me was the final two minutes when we get the appearance of one of the all time great comic characters. Do you have access to the note I sent you with my thoughts? I do. Okay, Re- tr- tell me how it's the word after, holy shit, mister, and then there's a bunch of consonants. Try to pronounce that word. Misklik? Yeah, close enough. Mixiez Spitlick or Mixiez Patelic. Which, by the way, the next week's episode is called Mr. and Mrs. Mixpitlick. Yeah, Mixiez Spitlick, I think, is the way he's pronounced it. The character... This is, I fli- I actually knew he was coming, but I then forgot he was coming, and I, I like shouted, "Holy shit!" when I saw him show up. This is one of my favorite comic characters. This is a five-dimensional, an imp from the fifth dimension with magic powers, who likes going around fucking with Superman just for the fun of it. Kind of think of an even funnier, uh, like less threatening cue from star trek the next generation uh and the only way to get rid of him is to trick him into saying his own name backwards uh he is really hilarious in the superman cartoon from the 90s he was voiced by gilbert gottfried uh great character deep ass reference the character was first introduced in like 1944 um and i'm really looking forward to next week's episode um i think it's I hope they don't try to do anything dark or like dangerous with this character. I hope it's just goofy humor because I think that's when that character works the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm really pumped about this character. I, uh, I I really, really, really was pumped to see him show up. So I have to ask, man. <laughs> we're five. We've been on episode zero. We're six episodes in. Right. Not a lot of arrow talk and even less flash talk. I have to ask what's going on. Well, Flash was off the air this week. Oh, okay. So th- there was no Flash and no Legends, so otherwise we'd be talking about it. Okay. Um, Arrow, on, <laughs> to be quite blunt, I've started watching it a little later in the week because it's hard to keep up with all these early week shows. Yeah, it's and awesome. since you're a couple weeks behind, I- I've just kind of decided to catch up with it when I can. Yeah. And if I can watch it before we record, we can talk about it. But I'm not stressing it un- until you get caught up basically so, so speaking of you want to talk arrow i'm the gauntlet's thrown 
I, it's 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 up to you. I haven't seen it. I don't know when I'm going to catch up. Uh, I'm honestly the the formula is it, it, the thing with Arrow is I'll binge it and then I'll get sick of the formula and I need to take weeks or months off. So I can't promise when that's going to happen. So you are welcome to talk about it today. You're welcome to talk about it anytime. Supergirl Expanse and uh, Legion. I'm definitely going to be watching all of going forward. Cool. And all I right. did want to bring up so we can table Arrow for, for now. Um, um, but uh, as we go out, uh, let the Bizzlecast listeners know. T- uh, as we tie it all the way back to the beginning, how do we want to handle the Iron Fist situation or like new Netflix series in general? Yeah, I think we uh, what we should do is maybe try to. There's no way to binge the whole show in a weekend. Three I mean, a week? there is, but maybe I, I don't watch want... like three a week, something like that, and talk yeah, about. Yeah, I those think three? that's what we should do. I yeah. think the watch. Uh, that's what they did with uh, like Black Mirror. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I think maybe we'll just set some divisions of we're going to talk about these three episodes on this episode on this week and then the next three and then the next three and then the next three. It depends how many episodes they actually have. Um, So I don't know how the timing on our primary shows is going to work. I mean, we know CW goes forever because they have a million episodes a season, but Expanse has six more episodes, if you can believe it. Um, and Legion has six more episodes. Now, there's probably going to be at least one break. Uh, so, but best case scenario, we're looking at two months before Expanse and Legion end. So, other than CW, is there anything that's going to fill between, like, early mid-April and then the Orphan Black, Game of Thrones, and summer shows? I mean, American Gods is when? American Gods is April. Okay, so that'll Fear be... The Walking Dead is April. Yeah. Twin Peaks is May 21. Um, I've actually never even seen the original Twin Peaks. I know that's like a travesty. It's fucking weird. I mean, it, it, the first, there's oh, two thought, seasons basically. I you were saying I was fucking weird for not having watched it. No, no. Well, you might be, but might it's be, fucking yeah. weird. I mean, it is a fucking weird show yeah. that has a plot, but you don't watch it for the plot. Trust me. Um, you know, I think it'll be pretty good. And I think as the expanse ends, there are more sci-fi shows coming this year that I, that I'm interested in at least 12 monkeys, dark matter, dark matter. They're probably going to save till the summer, but I would not be surprised if 12 monkeys doesn't start up pretty soon after the expanse ends. Um, because I think the magicians will be, will be finishing up too. And they'll just be looking for, Mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me something mm-hmm. else so yeah so i'm back on collider here so humans oh so maybe i'll add humans if it's decent we'll say um but, 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 i can't believe that show billions is still on tv i don't know anyone who thinks that show is good i've never watched it i don't actually know I, i'm assuming yeah. it's about somebody who has billions yeah I, okay. i'm <laughs> I, i'm guaranteeing i will not watch this show but the casting for Taken, the Taken TV show, is excellent. Oh, Clive Standen from Vikings is is awesome. I'm, I mean, yeah, I'm not watching. I've never uh, watched. I've never seen a Taken. I mean, neither. I haven't seen a Taken movies either. I'm just saying that was good casting. Um, the closest I've come is a Family Guy episode t- that's making fun of Taken, and it's actually one of my favorite Family Guy episodes. Mm-hmm. But um, so we could also be uh, wind up talking some iZombie, which is going to come on the air in April. We could maybe wind up talking Doctor Who. Both of those will yeah. be going through May probably. 
Uh, well, well, definitely. Well, I'll have to see if I can fit in a watching of The Americans because the new season starts March 7th. I know you love that show. Yes, um, I do. I'd rather prioritize, if I'm going to try and catch up on shows, I'd rather prioritize the ones that you absolutely love other than the ones that you know you would watch but not necessarily recommend anyone else to watch. Um, oh, well, I recommend everybody watch The Americans, mo- yeah, mostly because yeah. the ratings suck and they shouldn't. Yep. And... Uh, Iron Fist, uh, March 17th, Into the Badlands, March 19th, um, uh, American Gods, they're still saying TBD, that has to be set, I mean, they're saying April, but they're not saying exactly when. Oh, that's Stars, interesting. Oh, like, luckily I can get Stars through my dad. So you, you get all those channels, I guess? I, I'll i find some way to watch them. Yeah. Um, and uh, I never got into Better Call Saul as much as I love Breaking Bad. That's coming back April 10th. It was, that was yeah. slow for me, even by Breaking it's Bad really standards. It's really slow. Yeah. Um, um, I'm actually excited. Plus, showing yeah. up this season, so. I'm, I'm very, I, I haven't gotten into Hulu shows, but the show that's pr- that, if it's good, will get me into Hulu. Wednesday, April 26th, The Handmaid's Tale, which is one of my favorite and one of the most disturbing books of all time. A dystopian, uh, not so unrealistic based on our current situation, future uh, by Margaret by um, Margaret Atwood uh, about women being slaves of, of religious fundamentalists who were in charge of America in the near future. Um, Sense Eight, which I know you don't like, Twin Peaks, uh, House of Cards. Do you watch House of Cards or Orange Is the New Black? Are you into those Netflix shows? No, I don't watch yeah. either. Okay. All right. Well, this is good. I think we're going to still we're still going to have always have a handful to go to and and we always have the CWL to draw from. So, thank you, sir, so much. Do you have any uh parting thoughts? Anything you want to say to the Bizzlecast listeners? Do we hit everything on the list? I think we've hit everything. Awesome. Um what are you looking forward to most for next week? Mr. Mixius Patelic. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> figured. I'm looking forward to the expanse, but I'm a I'm a space opera whore, so that's no no surprise there. The big surprise is that it took me this long to get onto the expanse. So it was great to have you on, buddy. Have a great week. Thank you, Crossing Stream and Bizzlecast listeners. And Maddie and the Bizzle are out. Well, despite our best efforts, man, an hour and forty three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we talked for at least a couple of minutes before we got going. So. Maybe no. when we cut it down, it'll be oh, down no, to like no, 140. No, no, that's, no? The, that's, the, that's the countdown. Oh, that? After post-countdown, yeah. That's okay. I don't have to, I don't have to edit anything. That's, that's why I was so quiet on my end, so I didn't have to edit anything. I'll just line it up. Nice. And uh, oh, I guess I have till Monday, so that's, that'll, be, that'll be sweet. So Cool, man. Thanks, as always. And uh, oh, do you think you're going to see... Uh, do you think you're going to see... Uh, do you think you're going to see...